This morning we're going to be listening to a text from the book of Ephesians. Ephesus was a community that uh, Paul loved. He started the church long ago. It was a a strong and thriving church in, in, in those days. And uh, he addressed uh, the Ephesians uh, to talk to them a little bit about what the church really was about, who they were in Christ, and because of who they were in Christ, what they were called to do, the kind of community they were called to be. And so let us listen to verses 3 through 14 of the very first chapter of Ephesians. And I will warn you that God, that, that, that Paul says what I call a theological mouthful in here, and there's no way we can absorb or uh, explore it all in 20 minutes or so. Uh, but uh, let us listen to uh, what God has to say to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. Let us bow for a moment of prayer. O God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you, perhaps, when you were in college, uh, had an opportunity to read some of the writings of a very famous Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, who also happened to be a Christian. And in one of his books, he tells a story, a parable, about a break-in at a large store in his native Denmark. Only the thieves who broke into the store stole nothing. What the thieves had done was to change all the price tags on the merchandise. So over here was a diamond necklace sitting beneath glass, and the price tag said $2. And over there were a pair of finely crafted leather shoes that were listed for $0.50. And over there was a pencil that cost $75. And over here, a baby's rattle 
with a price tag $5,000 on it. Must have been quite a rattle, huh? You see, the intruders had switched all the price tags. They hadn't stolen merchandise. What they had done was far greater and far more damaging than simply stealing things. What they had stolen was value, worth, and identity. Now that can happen in our society and in our culture as the culture around us has a tendency to change the price tags on us. We don't really know the value of things anymore because we hear all this stuff through social media and we're confronted with all sorts of different ideas and conflicting notions of what is important and what is of most profound value. And pretty soon, we lose a sense of what is truly valuable in life. Even the price tags of our identity are changed by our culture so that we don't know who we really are anymore. We become uh, victims of the whims of whatever is going on in the culture that's telling us, here's who you are, here's what you ought to value, here's who you should strive to be. There's a wonderful uh, family therapist named Mary Pfeiffer, and a number of years ago I read one of her books, and in that book, this is what she said in, in one particular portion. She said, it's become clear to me that if families just let the culture happen to them, they end up fat, addicted, broke, and with a house full of junk in no time. Now, I don't know if you can relate to any of that. I can relate to a lot of that. Many people in our society are in those circumstances. Many people in our society are living for no purpose beyond now and the self and whatever is hot today and whatever is popular and whatever is driving uh, people in terms of what they value and who they are. Even so, over the years I've talked to lots of folks and I, I try to do my best to keep up on things and I've discovered that even though people are living uh, beyond no purpose than themselves, yet they have a deep and profound and aching void and hunger and a restlessness for something deeper and more lasting and greater than themselves and whatever it is that the society is telling them is of value. Many centuries ago, another great uh, theologian, a fellow you might have heard of named St. Augustine, he wrote... Uh, a book called Confessions, in which he told his own story of conversion and then commented on many other things in life and in the Christian tradition. And one of the most famous parts of his book, he argues that God has made us for himself. And we remain restless, and I would add to that purposeless and confused about the values of human existence. We remain restless in our hearts until we find our rest in God. Until we find our identity and our purpose and our moral direction and value in God. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, here is the God who has blessed you, who thought about you long before you were ever born. 
and who put you on this earth for certain reasons and redeemed you in Jesus Christ and has put his seal upon you so that you may live differently than the society around you. There is in every human being a need to know this God, whether people realize it or not. There's a need to be in relationship with our Creator. And if that need goes unfulfilled, or if we try to fill that need with the wrong things, then no matter what we achieve in this life, no matter how good our achievements are, no matter how much we acquire or how much security we surround ourselves with, if that basic human need for God goes unfilled, then we will remain restless and purposeless. And we won't know where, what is of value in human life. Augustine's oft-quoted statement is said in a larger context of his writings where he's talking about the worship of God and what that means. And by worship, he means not only what happens on Sunday morning in this place or in countless other places for about an hour or so, but also worship each day. Did you know you can worship each day? You can live a worshipful, gracious life each day as we seek to live for God, as we keep our focus on God, as we praise God with our whole life, as we honor God in our actions and attitudes, as we seek to follow Jesus and become a person who is motivated and driven and led by God, seeking to live God's kingdom values. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself living what I call a schizophrenic kind of life. And what I mean by that is dividing our life into the sacred, the sacred is, you know, when we're in a Bible study, maybe reading Scripture, or particularly when we're here on Sunday, worshiping God. This is the sacred portion. And then there's the secular portion. I go back to work or my daily activities on Monday, and I live in a more secular way. I do things differently. I operate according to uh, what, uh, the values of my culture and the bands that are made of me. So it's a schizophrenic kind of life. That's now how God wants to do, wants us to live. In fact, J.B. Phillips, in his translation back in the 60s uh, of the New Testament, he was quoting Paul in Romans, and he ta Paul talks about uh, not allowing the world, the secular society, the culture around us, and its values, because it keeps changing the price tags, right? Don't allow that, Paul says, to squeeze you into its mold. We battle that all the time. And if we're not careful, the price tags that are always changing also change our sense of who we are. We live spiritually, I believe, in a secular society when we live out of the center of our relationship with God through Christ and when we live worshipfully, praising and thanking God for loving us, for calling us, for redeeming us. Now listen again to some of the phrases that Paul uses in the text I just read and think of it in terms of your own life and who God has called you to be. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Everybody in this room is blessed in some way. We've all been blessed. And can we live out of that blessing and pass that blessing on to other people? 
Paul says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Sometimes we think we do all the choosing in life. Sometimes we think, well, I chose to follow Jesus. Really? Maybe God chose you before you were ever even aware that there was a person named Jesus. Maybe God came to you and reached out to you in such a way that your choice was more of a grateful response to what God intended for your life before he even thought of you. And then he says he destined us, his purpose for us, in other words, was for adoption as his children in Jesus Christ. There was a time in which we were outside of the family of faith, but God, out of sheer grace, adopted us in. You know how adoption is. I don't know, some of you might, uh, maybe you were adopted in your family. But imagine being an orphan or in the foster care system or whatever. And then all of a sudden somebody adopts you and you become part of their circle of relationships. And you begin to experience and learn from and grow in their values. And you have a new identity. That's what it means to be adopted into the family of faith. But Paul's not done. He goes on and he says, in him, in other words, in Jesus, we have redemption. We've been bought back. We have forgiveness. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. So with remarkable precision and power, Paul has been describing what God has done and will continue to do for us throughout our lives. Now here's a key thing that I hope we don't miss. Do you notice that in Paul's viewpoint, um, all of this is of God? None of it's of our own doing. That's important. <clears throat> and it's important as we live in this crazy culture. I mean, our culture says that <coughs> things that you do are of your own doing, right? You earn everything, you do everything, you achieve everything on your own etc., etc., etc. Paul comes along and he says that when it comes to matters of the heart, matters of faith, matters of eternity, matters of identity, and of ultimate value, you don't do anything. God does it all. And I love what William Temple, William Temple was, I think he was in the 19th century, he was Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury is, is like the head of the church, he's kind of like the Pope, but he's not a Pope, the head of the Church of England. And here's what William Temple said uh, long ago, he said, the only thing of my own that I contribute to my redemption is my sin from which I need to be redeemed. Wow. Wow. What an insight. You see, this is all of grace. That's why we worship God. That's what the glorious thing about finding our identity in Christ and not in social media or in all that's going on in our busy lives each and every day. We don't allow the culture to change the name tags on us because we know what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Living spiritually in a secular world begins in humble gratitude and praise to a God who has supremely blessed us just because he wants to. 
He's a God of love and grace. So we worship on Sunday, and then we try to live as Jesus intends throughout the week as a grateful response to the reality that we are a new creation, loved unreservedly, forgiven unconditionally, and blessed immensely. We, that's our identity. We approach God with empty, open hands and humble hearts, ready to receive the blessings of acceptance, forgiveness, and the empowering Holy Spirit. You've heard the old saying, Bless, uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, a variation of that, it's also more difficult to receive than it is to give. Sometimes we're not very good receivers. But when it comes to the things of God, all we can do is be grateful receivers. Paul says that God chose us before the foundation of the world. He destined us for adoption, meaning that God is sovereign, that history is moving somewhere. Even if we don't understand where it's going, that is a testimony of Scripture, that our salvation is gift from beginning to end. And by adopting us, God has welcomed us into this eternal family out of sheer grace. And it is only out of our relationship and within the context of this community that we ever, can ever hope to fulfill what one of our Presbyterian confessions describes as our chief purpose on this earth. Maybe you know this confession. It's uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm sure you can all quote it by heart. I certainly can. Um, <laughs> but um, the question is, what is the chief purpose of human beings? And the answer in the catechism is, the chief purpose of human beings is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Sometimes we're better at the glorifying part than we are at the enjoying part. But that's of equal importance. So all of our spiritual living is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. All of our spiritual living flows from God's initiating love. We love because God first loved us. And any goodness that we might achieve in this life flows from the gift of grace continuously poured out through the Holy Spirit active in our lives. So we pray, we sing, we worship, we try to obey, we try to serve the living Lord, not because we have to earn our way to heaven, not because we have to be good enough for God, if that's even possible, not because we have to clean up our act on our own best efforts to get somewhere or to get something for God from God. No, we do these things out of sheer love and gratitude to a God who first loved us enough to adopt us into his family. And the same God continues to grace us and bless us. And we have the opportunity to pass that on to others. In, verses, uh, in these verses, Paul says this, and I'm, I'm using a message translation when I quote this verse. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. So you see, people of God, we don't get our identity from the culture. 
but from Christ. We will never get our identity from a culture where the price tags keep changing and the values keep shifting. The church is called to be a sign of the presence of God's kingdom, God's rule within society, and therefore the church is really a counterculture community where things are done differently and relationships come before anything else, where outcasts are welcome and prisoners are liberated, where the poor are blessed. The church is a counterculture community where divisions are broken down, where we say we are uh, together, we're all in the same boat when in terms of our relationship with God and living out the faith in the world. It's a place where the lonely find community, the lost find a place to belong, and where the truth of God in Jesus Christ sets us free to love each other and the people around us. It's a sad but true fact that our secular culture too easily captures us blinding us to what's truly good and truly real, eternal, and of ultimate value. The, church, the culture is always switching the price tags. But Christ's kingdom is different. It's all about the creation of a new community bound together in the love and the grace of God where we discover our true worth and identity in that relationship through Christ. And as we share our lives together in worship and in fellowship, serving alongside each other in ministry, that enables us to draw closer and closer to Jesus, who enables us to live out his truth in our very being each and every day. You know, I was thinking about this when I was putting this sermon together. I was thinking about how tragic that the business of too many churches is just that. It's business. It's running an organization. It's evaluating things on the same basis that, much of any, uh, that most businesses get evaluated by. How sad when people are kept busy, so busy doing things and going to meetings that they're too fatigued to worship, to look for God's presence, to respond to God's love, and to become a blessing in the world. It's sad when we're so busy working for Jesus that we don't have a time to enjoy God and all that he's blessed us with. So this is the gospel. It's radical, it's counterculture. But the gospel says that when we did not know how to find God, he chose us in Christ to be part of his community. When we did not know how to admit to our sin, or that there even was such a thing as sin, he was already forgiving us. When we felt alone and afraid, he adopted us into this family called the church, his body. And when we could not make our way back home to our creator, he made his way toward us in the person of Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh, and he redeemed us. That's where we get our value. That's where we get our identity. Don't allow the culture around you to press you and shape you into its mold. Don't allow the culture around you, the society around you, the values of others to tell you who you are and what you are to do in this world. The chief purpose of human beings 
is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth, the eternal truth that breaks through the nonsense of our world and brings light to our eyes and joy to our hearts and peace to our spirits. O oh Lord, you'd bless us so much and we respond to you in gratitude. And we pray that our lives might be lived in such a way that people will wonder what it is about us that's different and where we get our values and identities. May we do all we can to show the truth of your kingdom, to love our neighbor, and to work for the good of all people. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.